How to be fabulous with Charlotte Dallison. Out with the old and in with the vintage. Each week I chat to a fabulous expert guest on their vintage wardrobe in order to inspire you to embrace more secondhand style. Hello, how are you all this week? Firstly, um, thanks so much for tuning into the season. And if you haven't listened to the three prior episodes of season two, do go back and have a listen. The first episode was with Amy Abrams, who is the owner of the Manhattan Vintage Show. The second episode is with Elise Ahrens, who co-founded Kate Spade, New York. Amazing. And also now has the brand Francis Valentine, New York, which is one of my favorite sustainable brands to pair with my vintage. Last week, I spoke to Michael of Toots Vintage, definitely one of the most coveted vintage sellers out there at the moment. So do listen back to those episodes. They're all really inspiring and all bring something totally different to the table. This week, I'm speaking to Edwina Hagen. She is a designer and maker who writes on the side. She launched her brand Hagen Workroom in November 2021 with a collection of one-of-a-kind shirts that she has repurposed from antique and vintage tablecloths, all sourced locally in Sydney. Hagen Workroom is not her first foray into fashion. In the past, she has run a separate fashion label, held editorial positions at Rush magazine and at Grand Life New York magazine. Plus, she's worked for various lifestyle and culture brands. At Hagen Workroom, she's currently developing new styles once again, mostly using vintage and dead stock fabrics and experimenting with traditional craft techniques with the intention to create garments that are both functional and playful. For her, it's about creating garments without creating any waste. I'm really impressed with Edwina's ability to constantly reinvent, not just with her designs, but also with her career, Um, She's lived overseas for quite a long time. She's recently come back to Sydney. I love chatting with her and a little fun fact, Rush magazine where she used to hold various editorial positions was where I did my first fashion internship. So it feels quite full circle to have spoken to her this week. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Edwina. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. So nice to meet you. Yeah, so nice to meet you too. Thanks for having me. No worries. So the way we usually start is by talking to our guests about what um, you've been up to, a little bit about your background, where you're based now, all of that good stuff. So would you mind sharing your story with us? Sure. sure. So um, I'm from Sydney and I grew up here, um, I guess, yeah, always was creative, making things into arts and crafts and music. And um studied fashion and just did a year because I was impatient and wanted to just get my my little did I know I changed careers multiple times along the way anyway but um yeah so I guess yeah my background is is always been around sort of fashion and design um just different manifestations so I don't know how in depth I should go but yeah I've had done stints working in magazines working for brands having my own label worked as a stylist as well um and now I'm yeah back in fashion and actually making things myself so so you're literally making them yes yes so when I had my brand in my 20s I would rely on seamstresses and you know it was the the traditional or more traditional of that time path where you would 
wholesale to retailers and, you know, create a lookbook and then sell X amount of garments, um, whereas now it's, it's one-off pieces made from vintage fabrics. Um, yeah, and I make them, make them myself. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that you made them yourself. That's amazing. You must be really talented. I just learned so that I could so that I could start making them. Yeah. So wow. I a year ago. And I'm still learning. I'll, you know, be forever learning because it's so like construction, there's so much to learn and yeah. Well, we'll definitely be talking about your brand a lot throughout this interview because obviously you use vintage textiles and things like that. Um but I'd love to know how you got into vintage clothing and style. Sure. So uh, I, my mum, I would have to say, yeah, my mum's stylish and she was into antiques and um, loved beautiful things and, and quality things. So I would say that that would have impacted me definitely because um, it is hard to kind of pinpoint what it, what it was or why I love vintage so much. Um, but I remember going to a vintage store with my mom when I was about 15, 16 and my grandma as well, actually, and buying a couple of pieces and then just really enjoying that I had these different garments that none of my friends had. So I guess it was allowing me to have a point of difference. And for me, as quite a shy child or teenager, it gave me, I don't know, it maybe allowed me to have kind of a voice and, a, and an aesthetic without having to be the louder person in the room. I think it often starts for all of us, like as teenagers. Um, mm. Then obviously with this diverse career trajectory, I'm sure you've had moments where it's been influenced. Um, like vintage has been an influence, even if you were in like music or magazines. Like yeah, for what sure. was that trajectory like? Yeah, so, and I was always really into music and I remember, and, and influenced by the bands that I was listening to at the time. So in the early thousands, mm. there was a rock revival and you had the Strokes and bands like that. And so I, I just, yeah, I loved that rock and roll injection at that time. And so I started looking back to where it all began and kind of doing the skinny jeans and the velvet jackets and, you know, garments that were quite textural. And, yeah, so I would draw the vintage stores for those kind of pieces. Um, and I did work at Rush Magazine for a while and I also loved that magazine when I was studying fashion. And back in the day it was very vintage inspired. So, um, you know, I guess that's where I was introduced to people like Jane Birkin and... Anita Pallenberg and and, Kate, and sort of more, saw more of Kate Moss's style and people like that. So, yeah, I would say it was just, yeah, once you like it, you, your eye sort of finds it and then it just you know, goes from there. It's funny because when I was researching for this interview and like sort of looking you up on the internet, without <laughs> <laughs> sounding creepy, um, you, you started at Rush just as... I left because I was actually their first beauty intern, yeah, which is nice. super cute. But I remember being very influenced by like the staff there and everyone had like a vintage element to how they would mm. dress. And of course, being the intern, I was sort of like, oh, everyone's so cool and I'm such a dag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean, Rush Magazine was definitely, for me, it was the magazine, you know. And so when I got a job there, um, yeah, it was definitely a pinch myself kind of moment. 
Back to clothes, how would you describe your personal style today and how do you incorporate vintage into it? Um, so, yeah, these days, I guess over the years, I've become more practical and quite utilitarian in the way I dress. Um, <clears throat> it's definitely about comfort and I care about the fit and the fabric. And I, yeah, so my style is, it's pretty relaxed. But yeah, like I, I love texture and embellishment so that the shapes will be quite classic, but then there might be, you know, sort of like a nice woven fabric or an embellishment. But I think with vintage now, when I go to vintage stores, I will go straight for the men's section. Whereas oh, back wow. in the day, yeah. So I'll go and I'll look for the, for the button-up shirts and the blazers, leather belts, vests, loafers, kind of, yeah. So over the years, yeah, it's, it's definitely changed, but I think, yeah, I'm now sort of just focused more on, on, on menswear for, for me, which it, none of it's ever been a really a conscious decision. It's yes. kind of just evolved over the years. It sounds like your kind of vintage era seems to be the 70s. Would I be correct in saying that? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I think it, it is a bit of a mashup, but... Um, I do, it's funny because I, I'll, I'll go for different things and I won't be ever consciously thinking of a particular style, but I end up looking kind of 70s. I'm like that with the 50s. I just can't shake it. Even though I'm sort of trying to grow up a little bit, I just turned 30, so I'm like enough with the frou-frou. But, <laughs> but I just can't help myself. I'm just yeah. hooked. I think we all have that an era that we kind of suit and that it's we gravitate so towards. Yeah, it is funny because even back in the day I had a bit of a punk look going on and then – and then it was sort of more that long dresses and everything, but it was still 70s. It was like quite yes. a difference. But... And even male loafers and things like that, like that's super 70s, you know what I yeah. mean? So it's like even nah. Well, that actually brings me to my next question, which have you had any specific fashion phases or have you always stuck to one look? You've almost just answered that, but could you go through your phases in sequence perhaps <laughs> oh, yeah so yeah I guess um early 20s around that year rock revival was was very much that the punk look and I traveled through Europe and gotten a few piercings and and I had like <laughs> bleach blonde hair so I definitely oh and I used to modify actually like sportswear tops so I'd cut the sleeves off and have the raw hem and then a sort of vintage velvet blazer maybe in skinny jeans so I had this kind of miss like this yeah punk definitely a punk look and quite androgynous people used to say um at that time and then yeah like I mentioned I sort of evolved into this more um long dresses and my hair was long and what else would I wear like yeah oh then now it's funny thinking about it because I think then I had I had my own brand and and that went well and and I eventually was burned out and I kind of shut the door on on fashion I thought forever on design and after that I just pretty much wore all black so it was kind of like oh, it was like grieving yeah I was grieving this oh. period of my life and this dream that I felt was over and um and so I just yeah started wearing these kind of all black uniform 
and I still cared about the fabric and the fits, but the playfulness was gone. And yeah. Um, it's interesting you say that actually, I don't know, have you read Viv Albertine's memoir? It's like called Music, 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 Boys, 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 Clothes, Clothes, Clothes. It's oh, such a good book. Right? Yeah. Everyone should read it like it's excellent. But mm -hmm. she talks about when she, um, like when the slits broke up and how she could only listen to like radio four for like two years because she was grieving music yeah. and she couldn't listen to any music um yeah so it's kind of the same it's like it you is. couldn't wear any yeah. color yeah but i do think that happens mm. yeah i just um and it was again none of it's ever it's very much a feeling like it's i guess and that's true to how i dress in general it is it's based on mood and and fashion just yeah, I was just so disheartened by the industry and a lot has changed since then. You know, this is 2012. Um, then I moved to New York and I found my love of fashion again, of, of vintage and fashion, I suppose. Oh, so wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> and the stores over there are incredible. The vintage yes. fashion. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. you closed the doors on your brand and then did you work for Rush or did you go to New yes. York after your brand? So I, so I closed the door. Started wearing black, got a job yep. at Rush. Um, Very magazine chic, yes, all black. You know, it all sort of <laughs> tied in together quite nicely. Um, yeah, and I worked at Rush for a couple of years as the brand and special projects manager and been wanting to move to New York and was able to move over there and continue writing for the magazine as lifestyle editor and would focus on, yeah, New York-based content mostly or American content, but a bunch of other stuff as well. So, so cool. Yeah, so it was great. Um, and I got to interview one of my style icons, Jane Birkin. Um, <gasps> no. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. What I was remember, that like? I was so nervous. So it was kind of like, you know, those times where I wish I could have just relaxed so I could have really enjoyed it. But I was just so nervous. Yes. You know, she's a real, like, she's been around for so long and she's been interviewed many times, so she just took the reins and, you know, um, made it a, a wonderful interview. But, yeah, oh. so that was cool. And I got to speak to Chloe Sevigny as well. Oh. So, yeah. So it was great. She's, like, the vintage, kind of modern vintage wearer, right? Yeah. She's yeah. so good. Yeah. So many she's other guests have fun. cited her as being, like, a style icon as well. Mm. She's just... I could like look at pictures of her outfits forever. <laughs> I know. She just puts it together so well and it's so her, you know? It's kind of like if other people gave it a go, it just wouldn't work. She just knows how to dress for herself and and yeah. So that was cool. Um Yeah, so yeah, I was in New York and, and then came back a couple of years ago when a lot of okay. people came back. Yes. Oh, so we, did your coming home was that like because of COVID? It was, and you know, it was time anyway, really. I, I spent almost five years there and the plan was to come back to Australia. So I think, you know, with New York, you can kind of, I don't know, I could almost imagine staying there forever, but because it's quite intoxicating, but um, <laughs> yeah. So I like break, broke free when I had the chance and yeah, then went through my grieving New York period then I started, yeah, making clothes that were all really colourful. So I don't know, sort of, yeah, funny how things work. I know. Well, I think we do all have chapters and 
I suppose for someone like yourself who's had a specific like chapters of career the clothes probably correlate with that and I can imagine coming back to Sydney also would be like climate would be a big factor being back by the beach and kind of wanting to wear color and I don't know um you know from looking at your brand like slightly breezier pieces and easy to wear like yeah, yeah I can imagine that being like something you'd gravitate towards yeah and it was such a it's been such a dark time as well I think I just wanted that color and playfulness and you know as well just to yeah like a reprieve from the heaviness yes oh that's that's nice I mean that's inspiring um and how funny to think that prior to leaving for New York you were wearing all black and then you came back and you were wearing more color than ever and sometimes yeah, it'll be it'll take a little while to think oh that's strange like yeah now apparently I'm really into this <laughs> but um mm. yeah so it's always just to be yeah an evolution and you know yeah, being creative sometimes it can be a little bit all over the place I'm not really sure but I feel like there is a through line with everything sometimes it's just it's just non-linear Now, I want to chat a little about one of our season sponsors. But first, we all know that in order to live a fabulous life, one needs fabulous mental health. I've had all sorts of ups and downs throughout my own fabulous life. And some of those lower or trickier moments have meant that I have needed to seek the help of a therapist to help see me through. I really think that therapy is an invaluable modern resource, even for the more nostalgic amongst us. So do allow me to introduce one of this season's podcast sponsors, and that's BetterHelp. Thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just need to answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you would expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash befabulous. That's betterhelp.com forward slash befabulous. Everything is linked in the show notes. And so do you have a most memorable vintage clothing purchase ever? So, gosh, like I definitely, I have loafers that I love. I have vintage Gucci loafers. Amazing. And when, and I found them online on eBay and they came from somewhere in the world. And, you know, there's always the fear of will the shoe fit? Yes. (laughs) Or like, you know, what have I bought here? What's coming? Um, and they just fit perfectly. So that was a really exciting moment and I just wear them all the time. And in New York, I bought a lot of coach bags. They're kind of easy, you know, they're yeah, quite prevalent. Um, 
And then so many. I mean, recently I bought this Silk Jupion coat um, and it's purple. Purple Silk Jupion coat from a vintage store just up the road called Grand Days. And oh, that's a special. Yeah. yeah, they have a really good selection there. Like I always wear something. I haven't, I haven't spent much time in Sydney this year. Usually I do. Certainly pre-pandemic I did and I used to live there as well. But um, I keep seeing Grand Days like popping up on my feed from various different sort of angles. I'm like, this is a sign or it's an <laughs> algorithm that I need to go there. <laughs> yeah, definitely visit. Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good one. Oh, how good that you live near it. Fantastic. Yeah. Speaking of shopping vintage, does sustainability factor into why you buy secondhand? More and more it does. I think initially it was not so much a thought. I was younger and it wasn't as much of a conversation. So I guess it was, yeah, more, more so now. I mean, I'm, I've never been wasteful or into trends so much or fast fashion. So I think um, just that I, I like quality pieces. So it's sort of like by virtue of appreciating quality pieces, I am more sustainable and that I buy pieces to last. And buying vintage is generally the garments, the craftsmanship from way back when was was more quality and also the fabrics are more quality. So I think, yeah, it's sort of by, by virtue of just loving pieces that are going to last in a good quality, like I am more sustainable in the way that I shop. Yeah, so it's yeah. not, again, it's like, yeah, it's more and more I think, I, I do think about it and I'm more mindful because I used to buy even just a lot more vintage. So now I just really consider my purchases. Yes, I think especially like when one goes through a big move, you're really conscious of just collecting <laughs> sh like shit for, <laughs> for no reason. I'm actually about to move out of my place Beg your pardon, it's a bit messy behind me, but I'm um I'm off to Italy for a couple of months and then I'm going to New Zealand where my parents live for a bit. I know, I know, I'm very excited, but I'm sort of like, you know, in the process of like doing a lease transfer with some like chick from the internet and then like trying to like sell everything. And I'm just like, when did I get so much stuff? I've moved so many times. And um, I just feel like I just have an overflowing amount of things. And I'm like, yeah. how? I'm a conscious shopper. <laughs> yeah. I know it happens, doesn't it? We accumulate. Yes. And uh, yeah, I've moved so many times now. And my, mm. my wardrobe's pretty minimal these days. I definitely, and I still have things from when I was vintage shopping like 15 years ago. So it's so really special things I'll hold on to as well. Yes. Yeah. I'm the same and I think yeah to sort of counteract that last point about like buying a lot um, those really good vintage finds you never let go of them they almost become like heirlooms yeah. that weren't from your family or something <laughs> <laughs> it's true I mean I will say some things I I'll, I'll be I'll have a moment where I'll randomly remember a garment like maybe there's something that I'm thinking about and then I'll be like oh my gosh I had something and then I'll get a pang of, of like Oh. remembering that I had something great and I let it go because yeah because I was cleaning things out or you know it was just time, felt like it was time for it to be circulated again yes. yes I learned the hard way to hold on to the special things I know I'm 
I'm like that as well. And I think I could do a whole podcast episode on like vintage. I wish I hadn't sold because (laughs) there are are definitely pieces I still long for. And I allow myself, despite all my constant moving, like a small suitcase just full of like sentimental clothes that have had it that I can't wear or sell. But I'm just like, I have to keep these like punctuation marks in my life. Back to shopping for vintage. Do you purchase vintage for other areas of your life? I do. Um, yes. I mean, just looking around my apartment now, there's so many vintage pieces. There's glassware, candlesticks, vases. Um, so lots of lots of kind of objects, vintage objects, and then furniture as well. So I'll yeah, I'll watch the auctions, like the antique auctions, and go to auction house. Um, and just yeah pick up pieces I mean I guess I was again selling fresh when I came back from New York with furniture and yeah so pretty much yeah all my furniture minus you know the bed and other bits and pieces it's all it's all vintage and I actually I have a rug that I brought back from New York and the story goes and all my friends laugh at me when I tell them this but (laughs) I bought it from a vintage store in New York in Brooklyn actually and yeah. I was told that it once belonged to Frank Sinatra's mum. Stop. Amazing. In, yeah. <laughs> and they lived in New Jersey. So, you know, I mean, I got the whole story at the time and I, I won't go into the lengths of it, but it was handed to somebody else, et cetera, et cetera. And I choose to believe that it's true. And it's just this gorgeous, even if it's not, it's just a gorgeous, you know, very well-loved faded Persian rug. Oh, yeah. my God. How cool. <laughs> So Frank ran around on it. Yeah, okay. I like to think that. Yeah, he was like a little baby playing on it and, you know, yeah. <laughs> but it has all that history. No matter what, it has history. It's definitely been loved. Yes. Well, how did you decide what to bring back from New York? Because it sounds like if you love decorating with vintage as well, you probably, I imagine, had an apartment full mm. of treasure. What was that like, especially if you were under pressure with COVID kind of on the horizon? I just, I just let it, I just sold it. I sold it all pretty quickly. I made the decision and within sort of three weeks I was gone. And and that's the thing too about vintage is that, you know, if you buy quality pieces, then it's not that difficult to, to sell it as well. You know, you're not just having to give it away at the end. Like people wanted these great pieces that I'd found um, but I did, I did let it go because I had limited space and storage and <clears throat> there's definitely again, yeah, that sort of pang of like, oh, there's things I probably could have brought back, but I brought all my records back. I brought the books, books back and yeah, and just let like sold off the furniture. Oh, well, that's kind of nice though. It's like attached to that. Pardon? Oh, the rug. Obviously, the rug came with me. Except for the rug, but you had to bring that because Frank Sinatra's mum owned it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Worth it. Totally worth it. Um, So speaking of style icons as we were before, you've mentioned them a little bit already, but Mm. who were your specific style icons whilst you were growing up and in your 20s and things? I I didn't have anyone. I suppose it would be, yeah, that... I did love what Kate Moss wore and Erin Wasson, those kind of, you know, the the cool models and you'd see them in their off-duty attire. Um, and they just, like, like, yeah, I think, I guess it was that kind of festival era as well. And yes, yeah. People, yeah, 
they they could wear anything obviously and look great but i just like the mashup of different eras and kind of the playfulness of the clothes that they would wear um yeah i would say that they were the the main ones probably and then yeah bands that i was listening to at the time i would notice uh what they were wearing but yeah i didn't have any specific style icons it was just that i would kind of pick things up and in the street as well just seeing what people were wearing in the street or if i went overseas to london like i always quite like the london style it is quite often a vintage style and mashup um <clears throat> So, yeah, so style icons, I don't think I ever, yeah, had any real pin-ups, you know, but there were just some in my mind now. I can think back and almost visualise the outfits that they were wearing at the time. So it obviously stuck, yeah, stuck in my mind. Yeah, I can see, like, there's, like, that picture of Kate Moss at Glastonbury and she's wearing, yeah. like, that, like, what's it, how would you describe it, like, that, vest with the yeah i was gonna say the vest with the tiny shorts and then the gumboots yes yeah yes and then there was but i feel like that photo yeah. almost solidified it like yeah, that's yeah. the tipping point <laughs> i remember yeah i would have been like okay go and go and find a vest now like and i would have been yeah. gone out and trawled the trawled crown street for for a vest and yeah yes. Which you would have been able to find one then. Maybe not now, but definitely then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I miss shopping on Crown Street, vintage shopping on Crown Street. I know, yeah, it's changed a lot. Like, they've, yeah, it's just not the same. There's, yeah, Crown Street's changed. It's furniture stores now. There are still a couple of vintage stores, but um, not the not the, of the sort of curation that they used to yes. be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, my favourite was always Grandma Takes a Trip. Do you remember yeah. that one? I love so that So good. And I think, like, yeah, I remember going in and always always, almost feeling a little intimidated for some reason because it was just so gorgeous and the pieces were yes. really, um, yeah, thoughtful and, yeah, beautiful. Maybe it was more like I was in awe of the beauty of, of the girls. Yes. Yeah. Well, it was like a proper vintage shop and I feel like it was – like reminiscent of a vintage shop you might find in London or New York. So it's yeah. felt special. Yeah, like good and curated and the pieces were like yeah. I was like, how did you find this in in Sydney? Yeah. <laughs> but it was fabulous there. Um do you have a vintage icon now? So a vintage icon now. I mean I there's women that I look to who I feel that where their style has evolved with them. I mean, Jane Birkin is definitely one of them. She just looked, yes. has looked great over the decades. And Charlotte Rampling as well. So I think oh. it's women that are very classic, but they bring their own edge to it. I mean, Patti Smith as well. So, oh, she's yeah. just perfect. Yeah. And, like, Patti Smith always wears the same thing, but she's so stylish. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's always kind of like, yeah, like a white oversized shirt and a blazer and jeans and maybe, like, a hat with a feather or something. Yes. She just looks great. Like, she just wears it so well. I know. It's interesting you say Charlotte Rampling and Jane Burke, and they definitely both have that, like, real elegance but also total cool and they were both super cool when they were young but also like they're not still trying to be that version of themselves 
as they've matured, but they still have that essence or something. Yeah. So they still look great. Actually, speaking of books, Charlotte Rampling's book is really good. I think it's on my ah. bookshelf. It's called Who I Am. It's so beautiful, but it's bloody sad if anyone's going to read it. Oh. I remember reading it in Qatar airport, like on a delayed stopover, and I was just bawling my eyes out. And everyone was looking at me like, who is this woman? Oh, wow. Yeah, I'd love <laughs> but to it's read beautiful. that. Just, yeah, I'll be prepared. Yes, be prepared. When you're ready for a sad story, read it. But mm -hmm. it's written beautifully as well. Well, actually, speaking to the icons, like, mm -hmm. do you have a muse for your brand now? And did you have muses, specific muses, when you had your other fashion brand? Hmm. I don't have a muse right now, but I would say that there is a movie that has been a source of influence and and that I aspire to. I mean, the clothing is just so beautiful. But have you ever seen Purple Noon? It's a French no. film from 1960 and the talented Mr Ripley was a remake of that film, the English remake of that film. So, yeah, so in a, um, it's the same, pretty much the same storyline. And it's just so beautifully shot. I mean, they they spend time on this yacht and the clothing that they wear just all the time. The style is just so beautiful. For the men's wear, most, mostly, but the female character is also gorgeously dressed. Um, so that one kind of comes to mind. I mean, my mine is a little more fun and playful, but I think it's sort of, yeah, it's the cuts and, again, yes, the essence more so than trying to exactly emulate it's just this kind of undone effortlessness like breezy relaxed look and yeah I mean I would wear all the men's clothes in that movie like I would love to get my hands on those pieces I totally know what you mean it's like that combination of effortlessness but also like polish yeah from the menswear of that era and I think the Talented Mr. Ripley, even as a film, is so stylish. I just love the clothes. I love, mm. like, what Gwyneth Paltrow wears to the opera, that, like, royal blue yeah. sort of dress. It's such a beautiful colour. And then I loved, like, Kate Blanchett's character, especially <laughs> kind of 10 years ago when I was, like, obsessed with the 50s and how she's so frou-frou and kind of annoying and <laughs> she's so great, you yeah. know? Yeah, I and she's Kate Blanchett. So yeah, I know she's so fun her. in that. Yeah, it's a fun role for her, I think, because she's usually yeah is a bit more polished. And in in that in the talented Mr. Ripley, she's kind of like giddy and you know kind of like a, a giddy kind of I don't know character that's yeah over the top and easily impressionable or something. <laughs> I know yeah. she uh, reminds me of myself. I think that's why. <laughs> Hopefully I'm going into more of a current Kate Blanchett version. She's so cool. Mm. But, yeah, I think we sort of people in Australia know her, so to speak. So it's fun, even more fun to watch her in that role. So back to vintage fashion. Which vintage fashion icon, dead or alive, are you desperate to have dinner with? You've already met Jane Birkin, so I feel like <laughs> someone other than her. Um, yeah, I would say Patti Smith because... I would like to, I mean, I've read her, her book, Just Kids, is one of my favourite books and part of, the re, part of like the reason I moved to New York. But um, I'd love to sit down with her and hear about, I don't know, just all her stories. Like she can, you know, it's, it's 
spin a yarn and she's uh, was there when at the emergence of punk and would hang out with the talking heads and Blondie, you know, they were all kind of in, in it together um, at this incredibly pivotal time of creativity in New York. Um, so yeah, she, I, I would like to have dinner with her and hope I could relax and enjoy it. <laughs> I feel like she would just fuel you with sage advice as well. Yes, she I would went love with some her. advice. I would Same. love that. <laughs> she should do a podcast where people call in and they're like, Patty, what, what would should I Patty do? do? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I'd do anything she told me to do. So on that note, if you could live in any other era and place, where would that be? Um, <clears throat> I'd almost love to just be able to like transport back to times, but then come back to now. So like to go and have a little look around, but then, you know, stay in the present because yeah, I, I kind of, I like where we are now. I like that we have all this access to history and, you know, the digital world's a weird one, but it has it unlocked a lot of, you know, music and books and, I don't know, we kind of have access to the past. So I like where we are now, you know. We can reach back and look back and learn. Um, yeah, and then, oh, and then place. I mean, I, yes. yeah. I would love to spend time in Europe because, again, there's that, you know, there's, there's so much history there and have access to all those fabrics and material. So yeah, you know, I mean, French linens and You'll have to make that happen, Edwina, and you totally can. (laughs) A little buyer's trip, tax write-off. Yes, (laughs) maybe next year I keep it because everybody seems to be traveling right now. Oh, I know. I feel like the Sydney side is in my life even more so. So I imagine your circles as well it's like everyone's having a great time overseas (laughs) but that's okay that's okay I say that and I'm about to go to Italy yeah (laughs) so I I can't need to remember that yeah I had this amazing time (laughs) in New York so it's it's okay it took a while to settle back into life here so you know a couple of years without travel is is not a bad thing to get grounded no, well, especially if you're building a brand. And let's talk about your brand. So mm. I'd love to know a little bit more, firstly, about your original fashion brand and how that came about and, like, the trajectory of that, if you wouldn't mind sharing, and then talk about your new brand and yeah. get into the textile element of it as well. Sure. So so my first brand, um, yeah, I was so eager and impatient as a 23-year-old and, started working as a fashion assistant and became fast friends with a a girl, Gina Cole, a woman, I should say. Um, And we just, yeah, we kind of just went for it and started a label and we were just both into the same, similar aesthetic, liked the same kind of music. So we launched this brand, Strummer, and it did well. It, you know, happened all very quickly and it was a very fast learning curve. you know, it's just a, it's a real beast. I mean, you've got to, you've got to front up the capital to get all the garments produced and you take the orders and people want to buy it and that's great. Stores want to stock you then you have to pay for everything and then chase, but you know, it's just, it's hard. It's kind of like, it feels like you can just never get, get ahead. Um, 
So I suppose that little by little as well, when you've got your own business, the design and the craft element just becomes a smaller and smaller percentage. And it feels like really becoming, a, I don't know, just wearing so many hats that it's all a little, the design and love creative part gets somewhat diluted. Um, so yeah, I mean, we, we stuck with it for years and for a few years and then, um, and it was that traditional sort of path of, yeah, like we weren't making things in house. We were getting them made mostly in Australia then also having things made in Indonesia and India. And, and the garments that we had made in India were so beautiful, like the crochet and the embellishment. Um, but then the, the minimums were very high. So you would often have to pay, um, an extra amount if you didn't reach the minimums, which could be 500 or so. So for a small brand, it just, yeah, it was just tough to make the garments that we really wanted to make. Yeah, um, I see. Yeah. So yeah, folded that. And I, I never thought I would come back to fashion design. I just really thought that was closed for me and I didn't want to design for anybody else. Um, yeah, I just couldn't see myself designing for anyone else. I think. Um, yeah. How long did you have your brand, your first brand, Strummer? It was about four years. Right. Yeah. So you were very young when you did that. I mean, it's pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we were young. And in hindsight, I mean, the collections were big and we just kind of were, you know, there, there is a way that, that <laughs> there is a way that we could have done it that could have, you know, kept like allowed us to breathe and not burn out and doing smaller collections and um, not sort of trying to keep the buyers happy and, you know, saying yes to everything. I think, yeah, these are things that you learn as you get older that now I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I suppose coming back to it now, it's different. It's I want to be hands-on and I love the, actually making the garments and I again like I guess I am yeah I, I like that it comes together in real time so from sourcing fabric and, and it will arrive and I'll kind of figure out what pattern I have that it could work with um and again yeah from learning from the past I'm just I have maybe four patterns or four or five patterns and took time to really get the fit right and instead of, you know, rushing ahead and trying to do dresses and this and that, I'm just like, no, just stick with the shirts, just get the shirts right and learn how to sew a pair of tailored pants and get that right. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, I make everything in-house and um, I'm getting faster as I go. Yeah, I'm not sure what else to tell you. I guess, yeah, I'm sourcing things from mostly from Australia. Yes. I mean, there are two things I'd love to discuss. Like I'd love to discuss the inception of the brand. So you came back from New York, the pandemic was unraveling. Like, yeah. did you know what you were going to do? Had you been working as an editor for Rush that entire time in New York? Like, yeah. sort of so how did you jump from that to suddenly <laughs> having a brand again? Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise um, pivot. But um, so I, I kept writing for Rush and, uh, and so I guess less than, as I got more integrated into New York life. I started writing for other <clears throat> magazines, over non-competing magazines over there and would still contribute to Rush. Um, but then I guess, yeah, I was focusing kind of more on working with people in New York to have that 
you know, interaction over there and to feel a little bit more part of the group. Um, and working for brands as well, uh, doing sort of editorial direction for brands. And then when I moved back, I wasn't sure what opportunities lay ahead for me here. And it was such a strange time um, as well. But so I was still working for a company in New York remotely. And I just thought, oh, well, I've got this going while I try and figure things out go and have some lessons I got in like pattern making and sewing so this urge to make clothes and it felt like it just suddenly was feeling quite strong and I had designs in my head um, and things I wanted to create so I got in touch with my old pattern maker um, who's also called Edwina, Edwina Love. Oh I love that. Yeah and uh, and I asked if she'd be up for doing some tutorials for pattern making. Um, and so I did a couple with her and it's just, I, I think I underestimated how technical and involved pattern making is. And I just thought, oh, if I'm also gonna be learning how to sew, I'll, maybe I'll never get there. I'll leave the pattern making to Edwina and I'll, you know, go for the sewing and, and the actual construction of garments. So she helped me, so she she'll, I'll bring the designs to her and she'll create the patterns. And then she actually has helped me learn how to sew as well. Very Wow. Yeah, which is amazing. So before the lockdown last July, I'd learned how to sew a couple of different shirt styles um, and a pair of pants. And so when we went into lockdown, I just, yeah, I kind of just went for it and just was in this That's studio. So good. machine. Yeah. And finding fabrics on Etsy and it was so good and then posting things on instagram and people seemed to be responding positively so i was connecting with people and enjoying this new um creative outlet that i had and i thought oh it's just a hobby um but then yeah i just it, i just there was i couldn't remember ever feeling so uh fulfilled like creatively fulfilled as mm. i do you know create something from yeah, sort of, yeah, whatever, like, yeah, whatever the saying is from start to finish, we'll go with that, yeah. Well, it sounds like you're, like, in flow when you're creating yeah. pieces and you're probably connecting more directly with the customer, which is always a joy, I think, if you're selling things. Um, yeah. How cool. That's so inspiring. Mm. And I'd love to talk about, too, the vintage textiles you use. You said you started sourcing on Etsy, like, um, how has that grown? And it's obviously like a integral part of the brand as well. For sure. Um, <clears throat> so I did go to a couple of markets before um, lockdown. So I had some some pieces, and then I'd also had pieces from New York, like a really beautiful bed throw. Um, and yeah, so I had kind of a little bit of a stockpile to begin with, and then on Etsy, yeah, I would just source vintage uh, curtains and tablecloths, just anything I could get my hand on where I could tell, I could sort of sense that the texture looks nice because it's a bit of, little bit of a guessing game, but if it's cotton or linen, you know, or silk, like um, it's a pretty good chance it's going to be nice. And, yeah, and then post lockdown I did a sourcing trip down on the south coast. And, nice. Yeah, and found quite a lot of 
really nice fabrics too. So it's fun. The sourcing part of it is is a really important and fun part of it as well. Yeah, and you must be so creative to think to see a curtain on Etsy and think this could be a really <laughs> chic shirt. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I think that's awesome. It's very like of the times too. It's kind of make do and mend, but in a up to date way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think yeah, definitely the print. I mean, the I've always loved the like home textiles they just you know the durability and the embellishment as of home textiles um and the quality of them so i don't know yeah i'll see a curtain i'll think pants i could definitely imagine a pant in that um i get i i see the thing and then i'll start kind of putting it together in my head before i actually have it in my hand and is that how like you've approached your career as well like sort of just following your nose like if you've had these different chapters or have you yeah I think um yeah sometimes maybe I can almost be a little bit hard on myself that I haven't had this vertical climb and you know it's not been traditional path um so it feels like I'm often starting again um and and you know and that's hard in itself but at the same time it's exciting so I think New York was great in that it was an amazing place to be without having, you know, to need a studio or inventory around me. Mm. Um, I was able to be in New York and work for, with a laptop and meet amazing people and interview people. So it was kind of like that chapter in my life. Yeah, it made sense for them. And coming back, I guess it just didn't make sense to me anymore. So it is definitely a bit of a... Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's so the, the way that things just roll out as well. It's like with the, with the way the world got turned on its head, I think that just like rattled me as well. And going into lockdown, I just needed to be easy. Yeah. I think it's, it sounds like the timing has worked out too. And it's a good reminder, like life isn't linear. And mm-hmm. also those who do work in these sorts of fields often have to be resilient because you do have to change and adapt and if you want to go live in New York, you do have to kind of not sacrifice, but um, adapt in order to make that happen um, or wherever else you might want to live. Yeah. Uh, back to clothes. So mm-hmm. this is usually my final question for people, although I have one more bonus question after for you. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, why do you love vintage and why do you, pe- uh, why do you think people should wear more vintage? Um. <clears throat> Yeah, I guess I've touched on a little bit in the sense that I love that vintage garments, there's often the quality and objects and, and furniture, you know, there's that quality there. So they really were made to last. I mean, they've last they're lasting decades and they've been loved and worn. So there's that there's the history as well. I mean, it provides these links to our ancestors, um, to like very real and tangible links to our ancestors, especially when there's embroidery in those tablecloths or tea towels or whatever it might be, that's like this incredible handwork um, that was done by somebody, you know, sitting at home. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I like I like that there's the history there, there's the story and the links to our past and the quality. Um, you just can't go past the quality of just like a really beautiful kind of like linen jacket or something that's so nice and warm but it's still holding its shape. Um and so, yeah, I think more people should wear it. I mean, we've, 
we've all got to be as a society just more conscious in the decisions that we make and we've got to you know really respect the world around us and and by shopping vintage or at least secondhand or you know not buying everything brand new um we're responding to those issues around us and keeping things in circulation as well um so yeah it's important for for the planet i mean yeah with with shopping fast fashion we're just feeding the beast so if we can break away from that and stop feeding the beast then the planet's going to have a better chance 100 percent, and that's like the approach with this business of mine is to get more people wearing more vintage but in that i think um rather than you know telling someone who's used to shopping at zara for example um that they suddenly have to wear totally secondhand and vintage it's like it's more just about incorporating a bit more and a bit more and a bit more and it's like if everyone did that it would have a far bigger impact than a select few sort of a smaller set of people being totally carbon neutral or whatever and and i will say like there is definitely a place for new designers because you know there is but yeah i do i definitely i like to support designers that are, that have integrity behind a brand and who are doing interesting things. I guess it's like someone, a, a designer that's bringing a point of difference. It's important to support creativity and to support the arts as well. So I think it's, yeah, it's that kind of just being mindful and thinking, yeah, having integrity and in, in why are you buying this thing? Like, is it meaningful to you? Just making a yeah, decision. And I think on that note too, with new design, it's about innovation. And another person I've interviewed already for this series of the podcast is Elise Ahrens, and she's um, co-founded a brand called Frances Valentine, but she was also one of the co-founders of Kate Spade. Um, But in her new brand, um, she's, they're doing so much with like new technologies and biodegradable things and none of it looks like it would be, you know, Mm. like it's quite a preppy, colorful, it is similar to Kate Spade, her new brand. I actually really like it um, and have bought quite a few pieces, but they're really doing a lot and they're kind of involved with different corporations that are like spearheading the sustainable fashion movement, but nothing about it screams like minimalism or mung beans. It's like (laughs) very kind of, you know, preppy American chic, like, um, and colorful. And it's like, you know, if a brand like that can have all of that in its fabric, but also still be what it is, like it's got a certain look and flair to it. It's like, yeah, that's cool. That's the future. And And they're doing more and more. Yeah. 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 Mm, Very cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll have a look for them. Do have a look for them. They're great. Um, my last bonus question for you, Edwina, is what was Jane Birkin wearing when you interviewed her? <laughs> well, I will say, and I'm, I'm sort of killing the fantasy here because it was over yeah. the phone. Oh, no. Phone. I'm imagining you guys like in a oh, room in a hotel. I know, sitting down <laughs> drinking tea. That would have been yes. very nice. I did, I did get to meet Florence Welsh in the Chateau oh. Marmont. Oh, so okay. We were, That's yeah. pretty so, bloody So maybe fabulous. that will bring some other fantasy alive. But um, And she is a real vintage icon herself, I will say. She was collaborating with Gucci on their timepieces. 
Oh, and cool. yeah, and that was when Alessandro, Alejandro Michel was quite newly the creative director, I believe, and he was doing those kind of um, the bees and the a lot of iconography in his designs. But yeah, so we we chatted about you know her role there, but also about vintage, buying vintage and and being a real bower bird with the pieces that she collects. And that was yeah, I mean the setting of the Chateau Marmont. It was definitely a moment. Yes, that is the fantasy <laughs> any Australian has, I think, about like moving to America and being a journalist, <laughs> hanging out at famous hotels with famous people. Well, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, and where can we find you online? Um, what are your Instagram handles and stuff? They'll all be in the short show notes as well. So I'm online, hagen.com.au, and I'm on Instagram, hagen underscore workroom amazing well i'll link those two in the show notes thank you so much edwina um i think what you're doing is amazing and also your career is so inspiring everything that you've done and how you've just had all these different iterations it's really cool oh thanks charlotte thanks so much for taking the talk yeah it's been really fun Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of How To Be Fabulous with Charlotte Dallison. If you loved this podcast, please rate, review, share and subscribe to it as it really helps us get our name out there. You can follow us at htbfabulous on Instagram. And if you have any vintage shopping or styling conundrums, please DM us on there and we'll do our best to answer them in an upcoming episode. Thanks so much.